Welcome to r slash malicious compliance, where OP discovers an in real life infinite money glitch. Today's episode is sponsored by Sunbasket. Because of COVID, I literally haven't gone to the grocery store in like two years. Obviously because I don't want COVID to kill me, but also because I do voice work, so I don't think my fans would really enjoy my content if I catch COVID and I have to record episodes like, Welcome to r slash pro revenge. That's why I love, love, love services like Sunbasket. Sunbasket is a meal delivery service that delivers healthy meals straight to your door. They offer organic produce, sustainable seafoods and meats, and best of all, it's honestly really tasty. The other thing I like about it is that they don't only send you meals to cook. Like, yeah, you'll have ingredients and instructions for how to cook a healthy meal, but they also give you snacks, and who doesn't like snacks? Look, I'm just going to read the names of some of these dishes so you can get an idea of what we're talking about. Pan-seared salmon tikka masala over rainbow quinoa. Honey balsamic glazed chicken with warm cabbage apple salad. Chipotle barbecue tofu salad with black beans and honey mustard vinaigrette. Right now, Sunbasket is offering $90 off and a free gift when you order. Go to sunbasket.com slash r slash and enter the promo code r slash at checkout. Our next Reddit post is from DuckdownRob. The year was 2000 in Canada. One of the better grocery store chains, Loblaws, had introduced their new President's Choice PC Points Reward Program. This was tied into their PC Financial MasterCard. There was a month-long promotion where you could get bonus points for purchasing select items. One of these items was their signature President's Choice Decadent Chocolate Chip Cookies. These are amazing cookies that are still around today. The offer was, for every bag of cookies purchased for the regular price of $1.99, you got 1,000 PC points when you use your PC Financial MasterCard. Those 1,000 PC points would later be worth $1 for redemption. I noticed a loophole, and I started some major malicious compliance with their promotion. I started by going from store to store and buying every bag of cookies I could find. I even asked if they had cases in the back. From one store, I was able to get 8 cases. I ended up getting 1,400 packages of cookies over a 3-week period before the program broke. Having 1,400 packages of cookies created a problem. What was I going to do with all these cookies that I bought for $1.99? At the time, I was a field sales rep for a company with 4 factories in the province. I ended up selling most of the cookies for $1 a package to the employees. They thought that it was a great deal and they couldn't get enough. So, on to the points. Every couple of days, the bonus points would show up into my PC points account. I realized that I could take my PC points and convert them online from PC points to Petro points. Petro points were part of this gas station reward program. Once I had 100,000 PC points, I would convert them to 100,000 Petro points. I would then go online into my Petro points account and convert those points into Sears Club points. Eventually, I would redeem the Sears Club points for vouchers that could be used for in-store purchases at Sears. So, basically, I bought one pack of cookies for $2. I sold the package of cookies for $1. This earned me $1 in PC points. Then, I exchanged the $1 in Petro points to $5 in Sears Club points. So, basically, every time OP spent $2 on cookies, he got $5 back. Eventually, Petro Canada caught on and immediately stopped all conversions to Sears for everyone. No more points could be converted. It was even marked as not available on their websites. 
I called Petro Points when I found out, and after a little discussion, I was allowed one final conversion. It was a fun three weeks while it lasted. Then, beneath that, we have this story from Moral Tech. You used to be able to order commemorative coins, like silver dollars, state quarters, etc. from the U.S. Mint at close to face value with free shipping. Legally, they're still considered currency, so the plan went like this. First, you'd buy $1,000 worth of quarters on a credit card and have them shipped to your house for free. Then, you'd get $1,000 worth of reward points on airline miles or whatever. Then, you deposit the quarters at the bank, because they're still quarters. Then, you use that money to pay off the credit card and repeat. People racked up millions of free points before they closed the loophole. Our next Reddit post is from Spoods McBeef. So, my first job I ever worked at for a few years was a grocery retail store with several different departments, including a deli for lunch, meat, and cheese, which is where I worked. One night, I was working 1pm to 9pm. 9pm is when the deli and other special departments closed, and were expected to be done and clocked out, but the rest of the store remained open 24-7 for general groceries. It was me and one other guy, and we had an especially busy night. We were a little behind on our cleaning as a result, but we had our meat slicing machines already coated with sanitizer after working for like 15 minutes to get all those little meat chunks and shavings out of every crevice. Because we were pretty serious about making sure those things were as clean as they could be. It was about 8.55 at that point. We were almost late to leave, and the store we worked for did not like overtime. If you were getting any amount of overtime, you would get chewed out for it the next day, even if it was just a little amount of overtime. A woman walks up to the counter and starts looking through the product, as we had a glass case filled with a bunch of types of our lunch meat pre-sliced and ready to go. She looks at one and says, I want this turkey right here, but I want it freshly sliced. I, of course, look over at my coworker, and we both look over at the two slicers, which are still covered in sanitizer. I tell her, well, ma'am, we really can't do that right now. Our slicers are both being cleaned at the moment because our department is closed in five minutes, but I'd be glad to get you something here from our cold case. So you're not going to slice it fresh for me, is that what you're saying? I replied, that's correct, I apologize. Without another word, she walks off, and me and my coworker go back to what we were doing. We finish cleaning and go home after about five more minutes, narrowly clocking out on time. Fast forward two days later. Me and that same coworker come in and start getting to work like a normal day. About 3 p.m., two hours into my shift, I personally get called into the head honcho's office. The store director, as they're titled. I think nothing of it. Head upstairs, go inside the office, and sit down. The store director hands me a piece of paper and says... Tell me what caused this. I look at the paper, and it's a printed out screenshot of a Google review for our store. One star out of five. And a full paragraph from that lady from two nights before complaining that she didn't get her freshly sliced meat from the rude employee. And then describes specifically me. I explained exactly what happened two nights ago. The director is getting heated and begins to cut me off while I'm speaking, asking... Why would slicers be covered in sanitizer at 8.55? You're scheduled to work until 9 p.m. I said, yeah, I am, but seeing as though I'm constantly being reminded not to get any overtime, I usually start cleaning them around 8.30 p.m. The director gets even more upset and she raises her voice. I don't care. That's not how it works. 
If you have a customer, you serve them. And you had better make sure those shelves are filled before you leave or you will not be working here anymore. Now get out! I'm pretty salty at this point. I go back down to the deli and my coworker asks what happened and I told him. He says, so they want everything done before we leave? I said, yep. And without another word, he knew what we needed to do. 9pm hits as usual and our shelves are at their usual standard of half full. But seeing as though we've been given a new standard, we decided to stay and make sure that we did what we were instructed to do. We spent the next several hours past closing time slicing, slicing, and slicing until every single tray of meat and cheese was completely full. We also had these plastic totes in the big fridge full of cheese that we sliced that were wrapped up in half-pound blocks for ease of sale. So we decided to fill up that thing too with every single type of cheese that we had available. We cut up like 70 pounds of cheese and wrapped it up in the fridge. We also had a Subway-style sandwich counter where we made sandwiches to order and also pre-made on the shelves for sale. We made double the usual amount of sandwiches and filled the shelves, as per requested. Not a single shelf had an empty spot on it by the time that we were done. After every single possible item and shelf was as full as it could be, we finally started to clean and close. It was around 3 a.m. when we finally left. The department opens at 5 a.m. We were exhausted, but our spiteful overtime venture made us feel pretty good. We each got about six hours of overtime in. They hated anyone getting even five or ten minutes of overtime. We both came in the next day at 1 p.m. as usual, expecting complete retaliation. But nope. Instead, our manager kind of saunters over to us and says, Hey, uh... You should be good to start cleaning up at 8.30 like usual. I think the director got the point you made. Normally, overtime would be asked to be taken care of by clocking out for lunches or coming in later than usual, but they let us keep all six hours of that overtime. They never said anything to us about overtime after that. I accepted a job that paid almost double about six months after this incident, and I never went back to retail hell. Our next Reddit post is from Keeser. This story isn't mine, but my girlfriend's parents. They were going to build a house and a new development in a lot that was in front of their soon-to-be neighbors. The lot was on a hill, so it's in front of their neighbors, but below them. The neighbors decided they wanted to build a one-story rancher on the lower part of their lot, instead of building something like a two-story on the higher side of the lot. They assumed that whoever was going to build in front of them would only build a one-story themselves, which would keep their view unobstructed. Having a great view was apparently very important to them and a big selling point for the lot. My girlfriend's parents started to build their two-story house on their lot with tall peaked gables. When the neighbors realized that their view would indeed be obstructed, they offered to buy the lot off of her parents. Her parents offered them the price of the lot, which had increased in value since it was originally purchased, plus the cost of the materials already purchased for the build. They waited for a response, but they didn't get one, so they just continued on with their build. A month or two later, the neighbors respond to the offer saying they'll accept it. By this time, of course, more time and money has been put into the build, so her parents told them they can still buy the lot, but the price has increased. The neighbors reject the offer. In this new development, all houses are required to have a two-foot overhang, but many of the homes haven't actually been following the rule, and the developers haven't been enforcing it. 
My girlfriend's parents decided to also not follow the rule. The neighbors then went to the developer to remind them that her parents need to have two-foot overhangs, thinking that this would decrease the angle of the roof, meaning the gables wouldn't be so high. The developer told her parents to make sure they have two-foot overhangs. Her parents go to the architect to find a way to keep all those tall gables they wanted while also having the two-foot overhangs. The architect tells them to just raise the roof two feet to create the two-foot overhangs so the angles of the roof won't be impacted at all. And her parents just keep building with these new specifications. The developers approached her parents to inquire about the overhangs and if their roof was impacted at all. The look on his face when her parents told him they had just raised the entire roof by two feet was priceless. The neighbors avoided her family the entire five years they lived there. Our next Reddit post is from Fred Sam. A long time ago, I worked at a company that gave me a retirement account through Fidelity. I eventually changed jobs to a different company that provided a retirement account through a different provider. So, I call up Fidelity to roll my old account fund into my new one. Fidelity can do that for me, but there's a $50 account closing fee. Why do they have an account closing fee? Because F me, that's why. I tried to be clever and say, okay, leave $1 in the account, but they require a $50 minimum in case you do want to close it at a later date. Cue malicious compliance. Okay, roll over all my funds except the $50. Keep my account open. Send me quarterly updates on my $50. Invest it. Make it grow. I now have a tradition. Once a year, I call Fidelity to transfer over all but $50 of my account balance, usually just a check for a few bucks. By this point, I've cost them way more than 50 bucks of service, postage, and checks they've mailed to me. But I still have a few decades to retirement. Let's see how much more I can cost them before they give me my 50 bucks. I'll go to my grave with that account still open if it means Fidelity never gets the account closing fee. Why? Because F them. Well, OP, they say that one of the hardest things about retirement is you get bored and you need to find a hobby, but it sounds like you've already got a hobby lined up. Our next Reddit post is from AF Cheddarhead. I work as a consulting engineer who designs and implements system upgrades for organizations with worldwide locations. When my company initially hired me, the agreement was that I would get paid for every hour that I worked usually 40 hours a week when I was at the home site, but up to over 80 hours per week when at the customer's location. I got no extra overtime pay, just straight hourly time because my position was exempt. While on site, I would also be paid for lodging, mileage, food, and a rental car. These extra expenses, called MIE, can add up to a couple thousand dollars a week in places like Hawaii, Japan, or England. Flash forward a few years, and the company has been bought and merged a couple of times. The new company decides that exempt employees are now salary employees, and they will not pay for any hours over 40 hours. Plus, of course, no discussion of negotiating a new rate due to the change in working conditions. This decision reduces my annual compensation by over $20,000 per year, because I would be at a customer's site for like four to six months a year. I walk into my boss's office to discuss the problem, and he says there's nothing to discuss. The next time I worked at a customer site, the plan was for me and my team to work 40 hours a week, meaning an additional three weeks on site. Neither the customer nor my boss were happy. 
The additional three-week delay added over $50,000 in MIE expenses. Because it's just me there to do the work, and the number of billable hours remains the same if I'm there for four weeks or seven weeks. Sorry, but if you only pay me for 40 hours, then I only work 40 hours. A couple of VPs were quickly brought into the conversation, and the new policy was quickly modified. Now, we get paid for every hour that we work. That was our slash malicious compliance. And if you like this content, be sure to follow my podcast because I put out new Reddit podcast episodes every single day.